Sirens wake you, your head pounds, dazed and confused you get to your feet. All you can taste is fumes, breathing burns, it's getting harder to inhale. A rumble quakes under your feet all of a sudden and boom, you fly back into the wall. The rig now vibrates violently. Getting to your feet again, you run to the stairs and up to the deck. Chaos meets you, men screaming, sliding in mud, scrambling for the lifeboats. Others jump off the rig into the murky waters below. You look over and even you, yourself, debate to jump. Someone grabs you, pulling you into a lifeboat. It's overcrowded, but you make it to the water and then to the supply vessel. You watch as the lifting machine melts up starboard. It's horrific. Screams, shouts and pleas for help echo from the burning inverno. This was the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, or the BP oil spill, and this is the good, the bad and the pure evil. Deepwater Horizon was a 10-year-old semi-submersible mobile floating drilling rig which could operate in waters of 10,000 feet deep. Built by Hyundai Heavy Industries, a South Korean company, and was owned by TransOcean, which is an American company, and is the world's largest offshore drilling contractors. The rig operated under Marshall's flag of convenience, it was chartered to BP from March 2008 until September 2003. Its job was to drill a rather deep exploratory well about 18,000 feet below sea level in about 5,000 feet of water. The well is Macondo Prospect in Mississippi Canyon of the Gulf of Mexico in the US, which is an exclusive economic zone. The Macondo Well is about 60 kilometers off the Louisiana coast. So at about 7.45 p.m. North America time, CDT, on April 20, 2010, high-pressure methane gas in the well expanded into the marine riser and went up into the drilling rig. It then ignited and exploded, covering the platform. 94 crew were rescued by lifeboat and helicopter. 17 of them had injuries. 11 workers would never be found and are believed to have died in the explosion. April 22, 2010, the Deepwater Horizon sank. The afternoon of April 22, 2010, the oil leak was found when a large slick started to spread at the rig site. It flowed for 87 days. BP at first said it was about 1,000 to 5,000 barrels a day flow rate. The Flow Rate Technical Group, or FRTG, said the flow was closer to 62,000 barrels a day. The total estimated volume was 4.9 million barrels a day, which is about 210 million gallons. This is thought to be more accurate, give or take 10% for buffer. Because of this, it's the world's largest accident spill. BP would dispute this, claiming the government were suggesting much higher volumes. But in 2013, emails were released from inside BP 
that showed an employee had the same estimates as FRTG. This employee shared the data with his supervisor, but BP still went with the lower numbers. The company argued the figures by the government didn't include the 34 million gallons that was collected or burnt before hitting the waters of the Gulf. Looking at satellite images, the spill directly affected 70,000 square miles of ocean, which is about the size of Cambodia. By June 2010, oil was washing up on the coast along Mississippi, Florida and Alabama. By late June, oil hit Gulf Park Estates. By July, it hit Grand Isle. September came and with new waves of oil coating 16 miles of Louisiana coast and marshes west of Mississippi River. October, Texas got some weathered oil. July 2011, 490 miles of coastline in Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama and Florida were contaminated. A total of 1,075 miles had oiled since the spill began. December 2012, 239 miles remained subjected to evaluation and cleanup operation. The oil spill of 3.2 million barrels wasn't the only item to affect the area. Reports that thousands of tons of hydrocarbon gases or HC was released into the atmosphere. Concerns were high about how the underwater was looking. Researchers said the deep plumes of dissolved oil and gas would probably story in the north of the Gulf of Mexico and the peep impact would be long lasting. July 15, 2010, the wellhead was capped. The surface oil looked to have dissipated, but what lay subsurface was still unknown. It's estimated anything between 50 to 75% remained below the surface, or roughly 2.4 million barrels remained in the Gulf. January 2011, tar balls, oil sheen trails, fouled wetlands, marsh grass and coast sands were still evident. April 2012, oil was still being found and tar balls continued to wash up. 2013 scientists said up to one third of the oil may have mixed with deep ocean materials. This would risk damage to fisheries and ecosystem. That same year over 4.6 million pounds of oiled material was remo removed from the coast of Louisiana and tar balls were being reported daily. By 2013 regular cleanups were deemed unnecessary but when needed, a cleanup was done when reported by the public. BP at first tried but failed to close the blowout preventer valves on the wellhead. This was done using remote operated vehicles under the water. BP placed a 125 tonne containment dome over the largest leak and piped the oil to a storage vessel. This technique would work if it was shallow waters, but here was with gas combining with cold water created methane hydrate crystals. It fails as these crystals block the top of the dome. They pumped heavy drilling fluids into the blowout preventer to try restrict the flow of oil. Then they would seal it permanently with cement, known as a top kill, but this too failed. BP's next move was to insert a riser insertion tube 
into the pipe and a stopper-like washer around the tube plug at the end of the riser to divert flow into the intersection. The gas that was collected was flared, which means burnt off, and the oil collected was stored on the drill ship Discovery Enterprise. Before being removed, the tube collected 924,000 gallons of oil, or 22,000 barrels. June 3, 2010, BP removed the damaged drilling riser from the top of the blowout preventer. They then covered the pipe by a cap connected to another riser. The US government would say less than half the leaks were being captured by the cap and other equipment. July 10th, the containment cap was removed, replaced with a better fitted one. Later, mud and cement was pumped through the top to reduce pressure, but that also didn't work. Finally, a device was made to attach a chamber of larger diameter than the flowing pipe with a flange that bolted to the top of the blowout preventer, and then a manual valve set to close off the flow was once attached and secured. July 15th, this procedure, which was very time consuming, was started until the valves were closed completely. So Transocean Development Driller 3 started drilling a first relief well May 2nd, 2010. GSF Development Driller 2 started a second relief well May 16th, 2010. On August 3rd, 2010, the first test oil and drilling mud was pumped at a slow pace of two barrels a minute into the well head. The pump went for eight hours and at the end was declared in static condition. The next day, August 4th, BP started to pump cement into the top, sealing that part of the flow channel permanently. September 3rd, 2010, the failed blowout preventer was removed and replaced. September 16th, the relief well reached its destination and pumping of the cement to seal the well was started. Three days later, September 19th, the National Incident Commander, Tad Allen, said the well was, quote, effectively dead, end quote, and said it was no longer a threat to the Gulf. BP would say in May 2010, they had discovered things that were broken in the subsurface during the top killer effort. March 2011, August 2011, March 2012, October 2012, and January 2013 all had reports of oil slicks. Further analysis confirmed the sheen was a chemical match for the oil from the Macondo well. The US Coast Guard would at first say the oil was too thin to recover and had no threat to the coastline, but later they said to BP and Transocean that they would ha be held financially responsible for the cleanup, particularly the new oil. The US Geological Survey Director, Marcia McNutt, would say the riser pipe had about 1000 BBL because it was open at both ends so it was unlikely to hold the amount of oil being observed. October 2012, BP said they found and plugged the leaking oil from the failed containment dome. December of that year, the US Coast Guard did a subsea survey. They found no oil coming from the wells or wreckage, so the source was unknown. 
What was found was a milky white substance seeping out from the wreckage. Both BP and US Coast Guard said it wasn't oil and wasn't harmful. January 2013, BP said they were still looking into the possible source of the oil sheen. Data would indicate it might be residual oil leaking from the wreckage. If this was true, then the sheen would eventually disappear. Another thought was formation oil escaping from subsurface using Macondo well as a flow conduit. This could have intersected a national current fault and then followed to escape at a surface that was a bit away from the wellhead. If this was true, then that would point to an indefinite release of oil. The slick wasn't bigger than what would be deemed naturally and wasn't large enough to pose an immediate threat to wildlife, at least they thought so. There are three stages to address an oil spill, containment, dispersal and then removal. In the summer 2010, a total of 47,000 people and 7,000 vessels were involved in this project. October 3rd, 2012, federal response would come to $850 million most of which was reimbursed by BP. By January 2013, there were still 935 involved. The cleanup cost by then was $14 billion. It's estimated about 4.9 million barrels of oil came from the well, and of that, 4.1 million barrels went into the Gulf. In 2012, ecologist Marcus Hewitt said while much of the oil degraded or evaporated, at least 60% remains unaccounted for. May 2010, a network for volunteers to clean up was formed. Boat captains could offer use of their vessel to help and prevent oil spreading. Captains had to register boats with the vessels of opportunity, but problems came when more registered than actually took part. Only one third of those registered registered turned up. Many weren't impressed with BP's low response, so the Florida Key Environmental Coalition was created. It gained massive influence in the cleanup and tried to gain some control over the situation. A temporary floating barrier was used to contain oil spills called containment booms, and they stretched 1,300 kilometers to corral the oil or act as a barrier to protect marshes, sea life, ranches or ecologically sensitive areas. Booms were about 18 to 48 inches above and below water surface and were mainly in calm and slow moving waters. 4,100 kilometers of booms were deployed. Booms though had their own issues. They washed up on the shore, allowed oil to escape above or below the booms and were pointless in more than three to four feet of waves. Barrier islands were constructed to protect the coast of Louisiana. This was called the Louisiana Barrier Island Plan. The plan though yielded poor results and were very, very expensive. Those against the plan said it was based on political backing and not scientific findings. The Environmental Protection Agency were also concerned about the boons, that they threatened wildlife 
matter of trust would call out that there was no sh- there was a shortage of material for absor- absorption booms. They requested hair salons, dog groomers and sheep farmers to donate to clippings. These would then be stuffed into tights to help contain oil near the shores. This wasn't a new technique. It was one dating back to the Exxon Valdez disaster. The spill was also notable for the volume of core exit oil dispersant used and for the application methods that were more experimental. About 770,000 gallons were dispersed at the wellhead. Subsea injection is a treatment of water that increases oil recovery but wasn't used as first due to the spill unknown nature. BP, US Coast Guard and the Environmental Protection Agency all argued this was the time to use it. 400 shorties set off and released the product. Using dispersants was effective and the quickest tool to move the oil, minimizing shoreline impact. But the approach continues to be looked into. 2011, Earth Justice and Toxopedia did analysis that would show these dispersants could possibly contain cancer-causing agents, hazard toxins, and endocrine dis- uh, disruptor chemicals, which can cause problems with the endocrine systems like hormones. This disruption to the endocrine system could cause cancerous tumors, birth defects, or other developmental disorders. Environmental scientists were very concerned that dispersants added toxicity to the spill, which would be a huge threat to sea turtles and bluefin tuna. The dangers were higher when poured into the source of the spill, because the current would pick it up and wash it through the gulf. Now BP and federal officials said the dispersants stopped being used once the cap was in place. But Ricky Ott, a marine toxologist, sent a letter to the Environmental Protection Agency saying Corexit was still being used after the cap was placed. The Government Accountability Project, or GAP, would investigate and say the majority of GAP findings indicated that Corexit was used often in July 2010. So GAP got NALCO the National Aluminium Company Limited Manual, and in it, it said Corexit 9527 is, quote, eye and skin irritated. Repeated or excess exposure may cause injury to, cent- to red blood cells, kidneys, or liver, end quote. The manual on to say, quote, excessive exposure may cause central nervous system effects, nausea, vomiting, and aesthetic or narcotic effects, end quote. It would advise to, quote, do not get in your eyes or skin on clothing and wear suitable protective clothing, end quote. The Core Exit 9500 manual said, quote, do not get into your eyes on skin on clothing, avoid breathing vapor and wear suitable protective clothing, end quote. GAP would also find out from the Freedom of Information Act that those working in the Gulf in the cleanup of this, this oil spill were not given proper protective gear and weren't given these manuals. 
Corexit EC9500A and Corexit EC9527A were principal variants. The two formulas are not the least toxic and not the most effective among environmental protection agencies approved dispersants. But BP chose Corexit as it was available when the rig exploded. May 19th, the Environmental Protection Agency weren't very happy with BP's choice, so they gave BP 24 hours to find a less toxic one and to use it within 72 hours of the Environmental Protection Agency approval, or give a solid reason as to why no others met the, their standards. May 20th, BP said none of the alternatives did what they needed, citing three reasons availability, non-toxicity and effectiveness. May 24th, Lisa Jackson, Environmental Protection Agency Administrator, ordered its own evaluation of alternatives and ordered BP to reduce the use of disparance by 75%. BP did reduce using Corexit from 25,689 to 23,250 gallons a day a reduction of 9% and not the ordered 75%. August 2nd, 2010, Environmental Protection Agency said the dispersants did no more harm than the oil and it was working to stop large amounts of oil hitting the coast by breaking it down faster. But some still had concerns of the approach. The injection of core exit underwater into the leak might have been the creator of the oil plumes that were found below the surface. The dispersants were applied deep, deep enough that each that much of the oil never rose to the surface. A study was done on the plumes and those involved were most concerned about the slow pace which the oil was breaking down in the cold. 2012 studies emerged that the core exit used in the BP oil spill increased the toxicity of the oil 52 times. Scientists would say this would increase the toxicity to the ecosystem and made the Gulf oil spill even worse. So there are three approaches to remove oil from water, combustion, offshore and filtration. Later collection would be done for processing. The U.S. Coast Guard said 120,000 meters cubed of tainted water was recovered at this 19,000 meters cubed was oil. BP said 131,500 meters cubed was recovered or flared. Calculations showed 5% of the oil was burned at the surface and 3% was skimmed. The toughest day had nearly 48,000 people on response work, over 6,000 marine ships, 82 helicopters and 20 aircraft involved. April to July 2010, 410 controlled fires removed about 11 million gallons. The fires did give some toxins including a cancer-causing dioxin. Environmental Protection Agency would say the amount released wasn't enough to pose a risk to workers or coastal residents, but a second research team said there was a risk, although small. Skimmers were used to collect oil, and over 2,000 different skimmers were used. 
offshore 60 open water skimmers were used, including 12 vehicles built for the job. The Environmental Protection Agency had regulations that had skimmers 15 points per million of oil or more not allowed in the water, and unfortunately most large-scale skimmers exceeded this limit. Core exit would have the oil too, too dispersant to collect. In the June 2010, BP decided to get machines to separate oil and water. 32 of them were ordered. Each one could extract 2,000 barrels a day. By the end of June, 890,000 barrels were removed. With the well capped, cleanup now focused in the shore. Two areas were affected the most, and they were the beaches and the marshes. For beaches, a sifting sand technique was used, along with removing tar balls and digging out tar mats manually or by machinery. Marshes used a vacuum and pumping technique, along with low pressure flush, vegetation cutting and biomediation. So the spurrings were to help the digestion of oil by microbes, which is a tiny microscopic organism. Mixing the spurrings with the oil at the wellhead would keep small oil below the surface. The thinking was this would have the microbes digest the oil before it got to the surface. But risks were found including oxygen decreasing subsea and so affecting even threatening fish and other animals. Many studies were done and they did indicate the microbes did successfully consume at least part of the oil. But by the September research claimed the microbes were actually digesting natural grass rather than the oil. Microbes split many. David Valentine, professor of the microbial geochemistry, would say the capability of microbes to break down the leaked oil was greatly exaggerated by the biochemists. But Chris Reddy said natural microorganisms are a huge reason why the spill in the Gulf wasn't far worse. May 18, 2010, BP formed a responsible party using the Oil Pollution Act of 1990, meaning BP had control of the coordinating response. During the spill response operations, the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration, had a temporary flight restriction zone over the area, implemented as asked by the Coast Guard. Flights approved by air traffic control could fly in the area and these were usually supporting the spill response and were or were air ambulance and law enforcement officers. Those were granted on a case-to-case basis and were dependent on safety, operational requirements, weather and volume of traffic. No flights were allowed below 1,000 meters unless landing or taking off or conducting dispersants. BP would deny press trying to gather information from air, boats and on ground regarding the spill. In some cases, photographers could gain access but only with BP officials escorting them on BP boats and aircraft. Congress members would criticise these restrictions on journalists. BP along with the Coast Guard denied having a policy of restricting journalists. Noting members of the media were allowed to cover from the beginning once embedded with the authorities. 
they would go on to say they wanted to provide access to all information once it was safe to do so. April 15, 2014, BP announced the cleanup along the coast was pretty much done, but at the same time the US Coast Guard still were using physical barriers, the booms, and the cleanup workers were still working hard to keep the oil from spreading. Skimmer boats were used by them to remove the majority of the oil, and they used sorbent to absorb the remainder. Then the dispersants came to be used to prevent further damage below the surface. 1.4 million gallons of many chemical dispersants were used to break down the oil. Louisiana State was given funding by BP to regularly test fish, shellfish, water and sand. At first testing showed levels of dioctyl sodium sulfurcinite, which was a chemical used in the cleanup. From the spill, marine life suffered. Thousands of animals were covered in oil. The US Fish and Wildlife Service came to try to save those covered, but many animals had already died. The area of the spill was home to over 8,000 species, including fish, birds, turtles, and marine mammals. May to June 2010, the spill contained 40 times more polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons or PAHS PAS than was there before the spill. PAS are linked to oil spills and included carcinogens and chemicals that have many health issues or risks to humans and marine life. PAS were mainly found near the Louisiana coast but levels increased two to three times in areas of Alabama, Mississippi and Florida. PAS alone can harm marine species, but remember the species were also dealing with low action levels from the microbes consuming the oil. The oil had about 40% methane. Methane can possibly suffocate marine life and created what would be called the dead zone, where oxygen is extremely low. Everest has a dead zone of 8,000 meters, just 848 meters from the summit. The core exit dispersant under the surface would have the oil emulsified into tiny droplets remaining suspended in the water or sitting on the seafloor. The oil and the dispersants would get into the food chain via zooplankton. Evidence of oil and dispersants were found under the shells of tiny blue crab infants. Birds were affected too. Pelicans' eggs contained petrol and core exit. Mutated fish were found believed to have been caused by the dispersants and PAS. 2012, fisheries saw 50% shrimp without eyes or eye sockets. Fish had sores that oozed and lesions. This was reported from November 2010. In July 2010, reports came the spill was already having devastating effects on marine life in the Gulf. Damage to the ocean floor would endanger pancake batfish massively. In 2012, a link to the spill and death of the Gulf coral community was found. The first birthing season of dolphins after the spill had dead baby dolphins washed up along Mississippi and Alabama shores, 10 times the normal rate. BP denied any disease having to do with the spill. BP would claim the dolphins dying was happening before the spill. 
2013, over 650 dolphins were found stranded in the oil spill areas. The National Wildlife Federation reported sea turtles stranded from the spill at roughly 500. Prior, it was 100 or below. 2012, tar balls were still washing up on the Gulf Coast. 2013, we'd still have tar balls on Mississippi and Louisiana coasts. Oil sheens were found in marshes and signs of increased erosion of coastal islands were noted. This would have deaths of trees and marsh grass exposed to the oil. 2013, researchers found oil on the bottom of the seafloor that didn't break down. This showed a phenomenon called dirty blizzard. This is when oil in the water clumps around suspended sediments, then falls in the ocean floor like rain of oily particles. This could see long-term effects as oil remained in the food chain for generations. 2014, a study done on bluefin tuna found oil already breaking down by wave action and chemical dispersants were found to be more toxic than fresh oil. A study in 2015 backed up this with a study on coral that found dispersants again were more toxic than oil. There was also health consequences related to the spill. June 2010, 143 spill exposure cases were reported to Louisiana Department of Health and Hospitals. 108 were workers involved in the cleanup and 35 were residents. It's believed chemicals from the oil and dispersants was the cause. A Louisiana physician described it as the biggest public health crisis from a chemical poisoning in the history of this country. July, blood tests were done on the cleanup workers and residents. Five to ten times excess of volatile organic compounds was found in 95% of those tested. The presence of this indicated exposure. Ricky Ott, who was a marine toxologist with experience in the Exxon Valdez oil spill, advised families to get out of the Gulf. She said those at the Valdez spill had suffered long-term health consequences. In the May 2010, fishermen working in the cleanup were hospitalized. BP would call upon the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health to perform evaluations of the health hazards. This would cover the offshore cleanup. BP later included the onshore cleanup in this evaluation. Tests for the chemical exposure in the fishermen came back negative. The National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health said the hospitalizations of them were probably due to heat, fatigue, exhaustion or exposure to turpents, a natural chemical compound in plants and some animals that is used to clean the decks. A further 10 hospitalizations found heat exposure and dehydration as the main culprits, but couldn't conclude chemical exposure. The National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health performed air monitoring around workers at sea, land, and when Corex was being done. It said the air concentration of volatile organic compounds and PAS never went above the permissible exposure levels. 
It was thought, though, the volatile organic compounds evaporated from the oil before they began their investigations. The National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health did state many involved didn't wear protection like gloves or overalls as they were instructed and emphasised the importance of protection against observation of chemicals from the oil. Heat stress was found to be the most concerning safety factor. Workers said they were not allowed to use respirators and told if they did, it would threaten their jobs. Occupational Health and Safety said the cleanup workers received minimal exposure to airborne toxins and that they would say to BP to provide some protective material, but not respirators. Photos would show workers with no respirators and no protective clothing. Newsweek would do an investigation, finding BP did not hand out the Corex manual, didn't provide safety training and did not give protective gear. A survey in 2012 on the health effects on those cleaning up the spill reported eyes, nose and throat irritation, breathing problems, blood and urine, vomiting, blood from rectum, seizures, nausea, skin irritation, lesions, short-term memory loss, confusion, liver damage, kidney damage, nerve damage, hypertension and miscarriage. All of these would also happen in Exxon Valdez oil spill. Dr. Dr. James Diaz, American Journal of Disaster Medicine, warned more was to come such as chronic adverse health effects, liver disease, kidney disease, cancer, mental health issues, birth defects and developmental disorders. Diaz also said neurological disorders would also be expected. Also in 2012, a study done by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health found biomarkers matching the oil from the spill in bodies of the workers involved in the cleanup. In 2013, at the Gulf of Mexico Oil Spill and Ecosystem Science Conference, findings were brought forward of Gulf residents having anxiety, depression and PTSD. An investigation was also done on the health effects of children in Louisiana and Florida areas less than 10 miles from the coast. It found about one third of parents reported their children physically or mentally shown symptoms. Symptoms included bleeding ears, bleeding nose, an early start of menstruation in girls. 2,200 women in Louisiana were also studied, finding symptoms of wheezing, headaches, watery eyes, burning eyes, itchy eyes, stuffy, itchy or runny nose, dizziness or burning in the throat or lungs. The spill had huge economic impact to BP and the Gulf Coast economy, like offshore drilling, fishing and tourism. Through 2013, the estimated loss to the tourism of the Gulf Coast was up to $22 billion. Louisiana said in 2013, their loss is about $153 million from decrease of visitor spending. From the post-spill fisheries closure, the Gulf of Mexico commercial fishing industry estimated a loss of $250 million.
One study projects by 2020, the Gulf loss could be at $9 billion in commercial, recreational and mariculture fisheries, with a possible loss of 22,000 jobs over the same time frame. BP's expenses from the spill include cost of spill response, containment, relief while drilling, grants to the state, claims paid, federal costs, and fines along with penalties. BP would also drop from second to fourth of the four major oil companies by 2013. And while the crisis was going on, BP gas stations in the US reported sales drops of between 10 to 40% due to the backlog against the company. The offshore drilling would be halted to stop any more harm, but Louisiana expressed concern regarding this. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration closed about 226,000 kilometers square of the Gulf of Mexico's waters. 36% of that was federal waters. This cost the fishing industry about $2.5 billion. April 30, 2010, President Obama told the federal government to hold off issuing new offshore drilling leases. He also authorised investigations of 29 oil rigs in the Gulf to try to determine the cause of the disaster. After a six-month offshore drilling halt of what was called a moratorium was enforced by the US Department of the Interior. The moratorium suspended work on 33 rigs and the affected companies created a group called Back to Work Coalition. June 22nd, a US federal judge lifted the moratorium, finding it too broad and not justified. The ban was lifted October 2010. Before the spill, March 31st, 2010, Obama ended the ban on oil and gas drilling on majority of the East Coast and along coast of Northern Alaska in a bid to win support for an energy and climate bill, also to reduce imports of oil and gas. April 28, 2010, the National Energy Board Canada issued a letter to oil companies asking them why are they against safety rules requiring same season relief wells. May 3rd, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was then the governor of California, he withdrew his support to allow expansion of the offshore drilling projects in California. October 2011, US Department of Interior Minerals Management Service was folded as it was found to have exercised poor oversight over the drilling industry. Three agencies replaced it, the Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management and the Office of Natural Resources Revenue. It would also separate out items among the three in areas of regulation, leasing and revenue collection responsibilities. In March 2014, BP again was allowed to bid for oil and gas leases. So it took the US about 10 days to take action. April 30th, President Obama dispatched secretaries of the Department of Interior and Homeland Security, as well as the Environment Protection Agency Administration and National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration to the Gulf to assess the damage. On June 15th, in a speech, Obama said, quote, 
The oil spill is the worst environmental disaster America has ever faced. Make no mistake, we will fight this spill with everything we've got for as long as it takes. We will make BP pay for the damage their company has caused. And we will do whatever's necessary to help the Gulf Coast and its people recover from this tragedy." End quote. Some felt Obama was a bit aggressive, and some BP investors felt he was more so blaming BP than acknowledging his own handling of the crisis. Rand Paul, a US senator, would accuse Obama of being anti-business and un-American. Public weren't too impressed with how Obama and the government dealt with the disaster. They also were extremely critical to BP's response. Thousands protested at BP's gas stations and sales declined. The industry would say that oil disasters were rare and an isolated incident. They also reject the claims of the industry's loss of credibility. The American Petroleum Institute would come forward with how important offshore, offshore drilling is to not only economic growth, but also to ordinary people's livelihoods with job creations. Five CEOs of the top oil companies all said they would work harder for safety. July 2010, Obama issued an executive order to adopt recommendations from the Interagency Ocean Policy Task Force, creating the National Ocean Council. But in June 2018, this was revoked by President Trump. Over in the UK was huge anger at the American press and news because they weren't saying BP. No, they were making a point. They were misusing the term BP and instead saying British Petroleum, a name not used since 1998 when British Petroleum merged with Amoco, an American company becoming BP Amoco. It's believed using British Petroleum would shift the blame to Britain and calls came from British Prime Minister Cameron to protect British interests in the US. Tony Hayward, CEO of BP, would downplay the disaster, calling it tiny in a very big ocean. Later, he got really annoyed, and he annoyed a lot of people as well, saying that the spill was disrupting his life, and he would say, you know, I'd like my life back. July 2010, Tony Hayward resigned. Bob Dudley would replace him. He previously worked for Amoco. The US government turned down help offered by Canada, Croatia, France, Germany, Ireland, Mexico, Netherlands, Norway, Romania, South Korea, Spain, Sweden, the UK, and even the UN. The US State Department listed 70 assistant offers from 23 countries. All of these were declined, but later eight were accepted. The US Coast Guard actively requested skimming boats and equipment from many countries. In the US, many investigations and commissions were done into the spill. This included reports by the US Coast Guard National Incident Commander, the National Commission on the BP Deepwater Horizon oil spill, and offshore drilling, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management Regulation and Enforcement, the National Academy of Engineering, the Government Accountability Office, and the Chemical Safety and Hazard Investigation Board. BP conducted their own internal investigation 
and the Republic of Marshall Island Maritime Administration had a separate investigation. April 22, 2010, the US Coast Guard and Minerals Management Service looked into the cause of the explosion. May 11th, the US administration asked the National Academy of Engineering to do an independent technical investigation. June 1st, 2010, Eric Holder, US State Attorney General, announced his own investigation. The US House Committee on Energy and Carreras held hearings, including one of Tony Hayward. The US Congressional investigation would say the rigs blowout preventer made by Cameron International Corporation had a hydraulic leak and failed battery. September 8, 2010, BP released a 190-page report on its website. The report does have BP admitting fault, but also blaming Halliburton and Transocean. The report said on April 20, 2010, managers misread pressure data and gave the go-ahead for rig workers to replace drilling fluid in the well with seawater, which wasn't heavy enough to stop gas that could have been leaking into the well from firing up the pipe to the rig causing the explosion. Conclusion was BP part blamed but also Transocean as they owned the rig. From the report both Transocean and Halliburton said all the blame was on BP and not them. November 9th 2010 the Oil Spill Commission reported that a rush to complete the well and would remark on poor management decisions. A final report by the National Commission on January 5th, 2011 came. The panel on the Commission found BP, Halliburton and Transocean tried to work on the cheap and so it helped trigger the explosion resulting in the leak. The report didn't say it was on purpose or not, but the decision made increased the blowout risk and saved the company's money and time. Transocean pointed blame on BP that they made the decisions and blamed government officials for allowing these decisions. Halliburton also blamed BP, who according to Halliburton, ordered the cement to fill the well wall. In a report, BP was accused of nine faults. One such was that they didn't use a diagnostic tool to test strengths of the cement. Another was ignoring the failed pressure test. They also failed not to plug the pipe with cement but the study did not place blame on these faults alone. It would say the accident was avoidable and it resulted from clear mistakes made in the first instant by BP, Halliburton and Transocean. It also said fault was on the government officials who relied too much on the industry's assertion of the safety of their operations and failed to create and apply a program of regulatory oversight that would have minimized the risk of deep water drilling. March 23, 2011, BOEMRE, the Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement, and the US Coast Guards did a report on the blowout preventer. It would point to the blind shear rams as primary cause of the failures. They failed to close fully and sent and seal because a portion of the drill pipe buckled between the shearing blocks. September 2011, the US government issued their report. They said ultimately BP was responsible 
and that Halliburton and Transocean shared some blame. The report pointed to a defective cement job. The report also pointed to the failure to prevent the well blowout, but also showed many system deficiencies, acts and omissions by Transocean and its Deepwater Horizon crew. The central cause they pointed to was the blowout. Quote, failure of a cement barrier allowing hydrocarbons to flow up the wellbore, through the riser and onto the rig, resulting in the blowout. The loss of life and afterwards pollution was a result of poor management, last-minute changes to plans, failure to observe, failure to respond to critical indicators, inadequate well control response and insufficient emergency bridge response training by companies." End quote. June 16, 2010, BP met with President Obama. BP announced the Gulf Coast Claims Facility, a $20 billion fund to settle claims from the spill. It was for natural resource damages, state and local response course, and individual compensation. This fund, though, was not for fines or penalties. The new facility was headed by Kenneth Feinberg. August 23, 2010, the facility began accepting claims. March 8, 2012, a class action settlement was agreed. By this time, over a million claims of 220,000 individual and business claimants were processed, and 6 million was paid out from the fund. 97% of payments went to claimants in the Gulf states. But criticism did come out of the amount and speed of payments. An audit was done by Attorney General Holder on the Gulf Coast Claims Facility, and it was announced and approved by Senate on October 21, 2011. The audit found 7,300 claimants were wrongly denied or underpaid. From this, an additional $64 million was paid out. July 2013, BP tried to freeze payments of thousands of claims, arguing that the Deepwater Horizon Court Supervised Settlement Programme was illegally profiting from the claims. But the judge, named Judge Barbier, wouldn't halt the settlement programme as he had no evidence of fraud. BP, Transocean and Halliburton went on trial February 25, 2013 to determine payouts and fines under the Clean Water Act and the National Resource Damage Assessments. The plaintiffs included the US Justice Department, Gulf states and private individuals. Tens of billions in liabilities and fines were on the table. The trial's first phrase was to determine the liability of BP, Transocean and Halliburton if they acted with gross negligence and willful misconduct. The second phase, September 2013, focused on the flow rate of oil, and then the third phase, 2014, would look into damages. Plaintiff lawyers argued the major cause of the explosion was mishandling of the rig safety test, along with inadequate training, poor maintenance of equipment, and substandard cement. The Wall Street Journal said the US government and Gulf Coast states prepared an offer of $16 billion in settlements to BP, but it is not known if it was officially put to BP and if BP accepted it. 
September 4, 2014, the judge ruled BP guilty of gross negligence and willful misconduct. The judge called BP's actions as reckless, whereas Transocean and Halliburton, he said, was negligent. He broke it down to 67% BP, 30% Transocean and Halliburton at 3% of the blame. The judge ruled BP conscious disregard of known risks and he rejected BP's blame on the others, who they said were equally responsible for the spill. He ruled BP employees to took risks that led to the largest environmental disaster in US history and said many crucial BP decisions, primarily driven by a desire to save time and money, rather ensure the well was secure. July 2nd, 2015, announcement came the company agreed to the record settlement of $18.7 billion. To date, BP's costs for cleanup, environmental and economic damages, along with fines and penalties, have reached $55 billion. Multiple companies and five individuals were charged with federal crimes. November 2012, BP pledged to 11 felony counts relating to the debt of 11 workers and paid $4 billion in fines. Transocean pled guilty to a misdemeanor as part of its $1.4 billion. April 2012, the Justice Department filed first criminal charges against Kurt Mix a BP engineer for obstructing justice by deleting messages that showed BP knew the flow rate was three times higher than first claimed by the company. Three more BP employees were charged November 2012. Site manager Donald Bidrin and Robert Calusa were charged with manslaughter. David Rainey, BP's former vice president, for exploration in the Gulf of Mexico was charged with obstructing Congress by misrepresenting the rate that the oil was flowing out of the well. Finally, Anthony Badalminti, Halliburton manager, was charged with instructing two employees to delete data relating to cementing job on the oil well. None of the charges resulted in prison time. Anthony Badalminti got one year probation Donald Bridgerin paid $50,000 fine with 10 months probation. Kurt Mix got six months probation and David Rainey and Robert Calusa were acquitted. It's still unclear of the scale of damages the spill has caused. Researchers found dead organisms, including corals, and found areas of the ocean floor coated in dark brown slime four centimeters deep. A comprehensive survey of the seabed has yet to be completed. Thank you all for listening. Next time I'll be doing a short one on the Kerry Babies case. Happened in 1984 in County Kerry, Ireland. It involved the murder of a newborn baby and alleged killing of another. The, mo- the mother who concealed the second baby was arrested and charged with the murder of the first. A case full of poor thinking and ro- wrongful accusations leading to a tribunal called the Kerry Babies Tribunal. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil.